0: This is episode number 306, The Road to Recovery, with Carson Lee Alexander-White. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohid, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who've overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you, to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your false potential. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to make a few quick announcements. The first announcement that I wanted to make is in regard to our work, and that is if our work has had any form of impact in your life, please consider supporting our cause by either making a contribution through our website at overcomingodds.today or leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. The second announcement that I wanted to make is in regard to our weekly show called Survive to Thrive, Live the Story You Create. What this is, if this is your first time hearing about it, is a series of conversations that take place every single week where we explore the connection between one's personal narrative and the topics of grief, resilience, gratitude, fears. If you feel that any of these conversations are in alignment with you, please consider joining us live through either Facebook or LinkedIn on any given Tuesday at noon Eastern time, where you'll be able to share your own opinions and your own perspectives as it relates to each and every single topic. Now, let's get back to the show. First things first, like you and I have been friends for going on to 17 years. Yeah. Do you know that? It's it's a pretty
1: amazing, uh, amazing relationship we have, man. Uh, it has been 17 years. I didn't know it had been 17 years. It, mm. it feels like uh, I'm closer with you than I am really with anyone else. Uh, yeah. You know, I love my family, have a great relationship with a lot of people, but you and I have uh, have developed uh,
0: a true connection. Yeah, 17 17- 17 years and I remember the first times which I think is probably going to be somewhat relevant to this conversation when you and I it was your mom that said that we were way past the experimental phase when it come to when it came to testing with <laughs> some of the substances we were using nothing too extreme and I think things that many people are exposed to like alcohol and some of the things and I just I thought it was so interesting how In that moment or at that point of time, both you and I were in a relatively the same boat, but with or I guess to a degree ended up going slightly different routes. Right. Not to say that you went down a bad path by any means, but I felt that just uh, from an outsider perspective, like you had developed more of um, addictive behaviors when it come when it came to that. And it really got me curious, like why? Why did I not have that, right? Why did I not go through the same journey? And then it was two years ago. Was it two years ago when I first saw you? Yeah, when it, it, when when well, when it was, actually, when, when it was hard it was, to even like recognize each other.
1: It was that was more like three years ago because um, the time that you're speaking of was when I was coming off of some uh, very intense medications, uh, prescription medications that I was put on to help. Mm. Subdue so the uh, the psychosis that I was experiencing. So, what I really like that you're reflecting on is kind of the re- recreational partying that we had done in our adolescent years, uh, and we did have you know a lot of fun. Uh, I personally was very good at causing uh, trouble in difficult situations. <laughs> uh, and I think that's something that needs to be acknowledged here. That you and I together definitely got ourselves into a few holes. Mm. Uh, and it's good to kind of start with that because that led up to some behavioral challenges and difficulties that you know self-inflicted. I can't say I was in a difficult situation. I created difficult situations and I need to acknowledge that. Um, but what followed prior to this, uh, this psychosis that I had was uh, heavy Adderall uh, use. Uh, I started using uh, prescription Adderall and ADHD medications of which I no longer take at all. Uh, my sophomore did you year- have, probably, Did you have ADHD? Uh, definitely had ADHD. Uh, however, I made it a lot worse for myself by the things mm. that I would do. Uh, and that made it pretty difficult.
0: Mm-hmm. And this was at State, if I remember this correctly, right? ADHD. When you first recognized this.
1: Yep. Sophomore, into my sophomore and junior year, that's when I started taking uh, prescription ADHD medication. Uh, and what's interesting is at that point in my life, I thought I was doing amazing. I couldn't. I, I felt uh, indestructible. Uh, nothing was going to stop me or even slow me down. Uh, and I essentially was. Little did I know, on a track and path to a huge crash uh, of my just mental health and, and well-being, mm-hmm. of which I was unaware.
0: Mm-hmm. And then it was in that at that point. Correct me if I'm wrong, that's when you decided to give up any sort of substance use. Or was it or was it prior? This was remember. after that. So my
1: first year out of college was when uh, I was overworking myself and had created a really unhealthy lifestyle of Adderall use, mm-hmm. uh concentrates a week, really, really heavy. Uh, I wasn't sleeping very much at all. I wasn't uh, taking care of myself. I wasn't eating enough. I was losing, I had lost a lot of weight. Uh, And following that behavior for probably about a year, uh, I voluntarily uh, admitted myself uh, to psychiatric care. Uh, I had uh, entered a pretty intense uh, psychotic state where I was pretty unable to function and think clearly uh, I had very much uh, manic bipolar symptoms mm-hmm. uh, of which have since been uh, identified as, as uh, non-existent for, for my case. Um, but by taking so much Adderall, I was just overworking, maybe sleeping four hours a day, five hours, uh, mm-hmm. and just working nonstop the other hours of those days or trying to. I completely burned myself out.
0: Mm. You were a machine.
1: Uh, I was, I was a machine. And so i my, the, I had two hospitalizations over the course of, of six weeks. Uh, I went into the university of Michigan. Um, and one of the things I was telling them, as I was saying that, you know, these doctors and the people that were trying to help me is they wouldn't understand my situation because they, they couldn't possibly be working as hard as I was. And, uh, I can tell you that they were working a lot smarter than I was in whatever they were doing because I was not (laughs) going about things very well. But I had peaked my work week at about 120 hours uh, was kind of my calculated amount of work uh, that I was trying to do. And as I got the more and more hours I worked, the quality uh, of even what I was doing, um, my general um, attentiveness and things were just starting to fall apart. So the more I worked, the worse my situation became, and I, I just smacked myself into a wall uh, and, and really had hit an end point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was uh, somewhat delusional, uh, definitely delusional. Um, I was not hallucinating. Uh, that was a big distinguishing factor. Um, but I was diagnosed at that first hospital with a manic one bipolar, um, which has since been going to reevaluate to a substance-induced psychosis. Uh, So what followed from that situation was uh, I I stayed there for two weeks, which is a pretty long time at a a psychiatric hospital. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've got to be in a pretty bad state of mind to be held for two weeks. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anyone who might be familiar with, uh, hopefully not, but psychiatric care, that's a long time. Following those two weeks at U of M, I came out of the hospital uh, I did not really make any changes in my life. I, I was ready to get back to work and uh, I, can, I was not supposed to take Adderall and pretty soon after my um, departure, I started taking Adderall again. Within two weeks or so, I was back into a psychotic state uh, and this was uh, followed by a second hospitalization, both voluntary. Uh, I then went to St. Joe's where I spent two more weeks uh, and was put on a different set of medication. So I was very heavily medicated when I went into both of these hospitals. Uh, And coming out of my second hospitalization at St. Joe's, I uh, stayed on the medication for two or three weeks uh, and kind of really felt like I had brought myself down uh, to somewhat of a a more grounded point. Uh, however, I remember a particular experience where I was uh, I was having sex with my girlfriend, and uh, at that moment I couldn't feel a thing. Hmm. Uh, I, I couldn't feel. I felt like I was had no emotion, had no physical feeling or anything. And at that point, I I made a decision over the next couple of days that I was going to get off this medication. I was on depico, risperidone. Uh, Buspar and Ativan, um, which is quite the, uh, quite the cocktail. Uh, I believe those are the correct medications. I may have to look into a record, but uh, so I made a decision that I'm going to get off those, which was uh, highly against medical advice. Uh, at that same time, I made a decision that I was not going to use uh, any more uh, marijuana. I had already stopped taking Adderall. And I also decided that I wasn't going to drink. Um, that was my goal uh, just over three years ago. Um, two or three weeks. Uh, so the time you were referring to when you came mm. and saw me three years ago was about two weeks into that withdrawal from those medications. Uh, and that was uh, it, the most intense experience that I, I, I've, I've been a part of. Um, And it was, uh, how how would you describe Oleg when you saw me uh, knowing the person that I am?
0: Well, you know, it was definitely different. Like I noticed some differences between how we were able to interact. And it's not to say you were a completely different person. It's just I felt that maybe certain things that I would say take a lot longer to respond to, I think your processing time as far as how, you, how fast you process your thoughts was probably uh, drastically different in the way that, that you used to. So I, I, for me, I, I didn't really look at you any differently. Like you were still my friend, you know, regardless of what happened to you and or what was happening to you. So that that was one thing that I've accepted. The other thing that I also found really interesting and I'd be really curious to hear from you Throughout this whole time, oftentimes what I've heard from people who have gone through similar experiences compared to yours is that they say that the support group plays literally the biggest role. The people who are in your corner, whether it's your family, your friends, whoever it might be, those are the people that actually help get you through whatever you're going through. Now, I don't want to discount the medical community. I'm sure those things work the way they do and and stuff like that, but what I've learn from conversations with other people is it's the people that make the difference. Did you find the same thing to be true in your case?
1: Uh, Very much. So yes. Uh, I had an incredibly supportive uh, group around me, Mm -hmm. Uh, particularly following when the withdrawal was over. That's when that became really important. Uh, What was so difficult about withdrawing from these medications is I had zero focus and anxiety through the roof of which I not knew existed. Really? Uh, I couldn't sleep for more than an hour and a half. Uh, I would have dreams that I was having a seizure and I would wake up in hot sweats, like drooling. Uh, mm. I mean, this was just pretty unbearable. And I just kept telling myself that I know that it's going to get better and it's going to go away. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I couldn't read a book. I couldn't read two sentences. Uh, it's interesting during that time, uh, I started going to, uh, substance abuse support groups, um, mm-hmm. uh, because it's one interesting thing about these groups. They're almost 24 Mm seven in Ann Arbor, four or five o'clock in the morning. You've got a support group to go to 10, 11 o'clock at night. You've got a support group to go to. So I started going to these, I'd wake up at three o'clock and say, Oh my, I got to get to four o'clock in the morning because at four o'clock in the morning, I can go to a group. Uh, and for three weeks I would wake up and say, I don't know how I'm going to get through this day. Wow. Uh, And I would do one thing at a time. And I mean, I would start running, I played, I got into playing basketball uh, again, which was good, but like physical activity was something I could do. That was really helpful, but then that would end and I would go into just a physical feeling of anxiety coming off of these uh, medications. And uh, it was pretty unbearable, but uh, it definitely strengthened character going through it. And something I wanna get into a little bit later is, is the work that I do now and how it relates to some of that experience.
0: What role did your parents play in all
1: this? The role that my parents played in this is that they were always there. And uh, I, f- I feel so deeply for my mom and dad who uh, were being told by doctors that uh, the things that they were being told, which were in fact true. However, I just needed some more time to settle into myself and kind of uh, de-escalate my uh, psychotic charged mind. Um, but they were being told, so, so what were they being told? My, I was a bipolar, I was going to need to be on medication for the rest of my life. And I was a, uh, serious, uh, threat to anything that I could uh, create a problem with, um, which, which was anything. <laughs> so their role was to be very supportive and do everything they could to help me get through uh, this difficult, uh, this difficult time. mm
0: mm-hmm. And knowing that both of your parents, I mean, th- these are some of the most supportive people that I've ever come across in my life. So I, I think for them to also transition into it sounds like a new role in a way, but still be there for you, I, I think, I, I hope it created even a stronger bond between the two of you than you had before.
1: I think that's well said, Oleg, and it absolutely did. Uh, my mom, she started doing med- some meditation with me to... Try to calm down, and I could still even go into a panic attack during a, a meditation. in uh, those, again, those two or three weeks of withdrawal, but they were there with me. You know, the entire time. I think my mom took some time off of work, um, and that was was really helpful just to have her there and be by my side as I was getting through that. With no uncertainty of of that, my situation was going to really improve. Uh, that, that was part of the the fear of this for them is they didn't know if I was going to come to a stable mental place of where I am uh, thankful to be now.
0: Or permanently be stuck in where you were. Yeah,
1: and and that is not where you want to be, as you and I know. But just kind of the, the thought of being able to function. I mean, you described me just not being able to mentally function at all, uh, just trying to get back to a, a baseline.
0: Mm. You know what? One thing that I wanted to quickly point out, something that I admire about you is – In the three years of you not smoking or drinking or doing any types of drugs, I find that to be fascinating for a couple of reasons. First is I think there is real pressure when it comes to our age group to be able to drink in order to create friend groups and find, quote unquote, common interests, especially in college, right? Right after college, it's still a thing for at least three to four to maybe even five years. And then I've noticed that it is in the late 20s, that's when interests change and people start to express interest in other things other than going out and partying. And I'm really curious, how did you not fall into that pressure? How did you not fall into the peer pressure of, hey, this is the only way I'm going to be able to make friends. This is the only way. Like, what stories did you tell yourself to break through some of those limiting beliefs?
1: Those limit, I like that. Those limiting beliefs. Uh, for me, I had to kind of put everything else aside because without um, an existing mental health, nothing else was important. There was no going out. There was no friend. There was no even being able to sit down and watch a movie through the end. Uh, so I kind of just prioritized uh, thought of a hierarchy above all is what do I need to do to have uh, a stable mental health to have stable mental health. And that was, okay, so I can't use any substances for me. They have a very negative effect, not to mention that I have, uh, as you mentioned, addictive personality. And I also like to take things to the extreme. So if I'm going to do something, I'm going to take it beyond uh, reason, uh, with substances and that's why they don't work for me. So I never felt pressure, uh, in terms of what am I gonna do with my time? All my friends are out smoking weed and you know, uh, going out to the bar, having some nice drinks. Uh, I never felt that. What I did feel a little bit was that uh, after I got some some sober time and I was comfortable, I did start going out around bowling alleys and stuff. And the first interactions were just slightly awkward where I just had to explain to people, hey, you know, I, I actually don't drink anymore. Uh, I'd be like, Oh, why is that? It's like, that's okay. We don't need to get into all that right now. You know, depending on it's like a friend of a friend or someone I'm not really close with. Uh, But I have a very, you know, a small, uh, close group of friends who, you know, they, they respect and embrace that I don't do that. And I still go into a bar, sit down, enjoy a conversation with them and just don't drink. And for me, that works out, but getting to that point, uh, I don't want to make it sound easier than it was, it was a little bit awkward to kind of break the ice for people who I I had relationships with and be like, Hey, you know, I don't, I don't drink. And when you say you don't drink someone might think, Oh, you're not having any drink. And then the next time you go out there said, Oh, do you want to drink this time? (laughs) That's a reality there.
0: Yeah. I have experienced that firsthand. And I have also experienced some of my friends who have given up drinking like yourself, as well as a handful of others, where I remember asking them I said what's your biggest challenge when it comes to this and some people say it's explaining it it's feeling the need to explain for why you don't do a behavior when the reality of the matter is the other person probably doesn't do things in his or her life but they don't have to explain it like you don't have to explain why you don't ride a bike down a busy street you know you don't have to explain why you don't like driving downtown Ann Arbor on game day like you don't have to explain those things but for some reason there's that or there's that need that a person feels in explaining why the glass is filled with water and not with rum.
1: No, that's a really good point you make. Uh, Oleg, And the explaining is kind of the factor. Uh, and some people, they, they don't quite get it. But on the other hand, I've gone to a restaurant and I've asked, you know, I enjoy a non-alcoholic beer. Uh, I, I do. I don't have that once in a while. So what I'll ask is that?
0: Is that like water?
1: It- They see here, they started making more and more non-alcoholic beer. It tastes very, very similar to a beer. Uh, They've got Heineken's got one. O'Doul's has one. um, Samuel Adams has a great one uh, that I came across. Uh, They're they're, they're becoming more and more popular. And um, I asked the guy, I said, Hey, do you have any non-alcoholic beer? And he's like, yeah, are you a non-drinker? And he was also a non-drinker working at a bar. And he had a few, he had like five or six years of of, uh, sobriety from alcohol. And he... Uh, that's you know, an interesting
0: for, profession to work in <laughs> yeah i'm like someone wow, who doesn't drink and you
1: don't drink that's really interesting uh it is not s- something encouraged for someone uh who doesn't have a desire to drink or has that would issue. be
0: like a very easy way to fall back
1: to fall back exactly so for someone who consider themselves an alcoholic to be uh working at a at a, a bar is uh, unusual uh and you know so to bring up that term alcoholic uh Alcohol was never, I consider myself to have alcoholic tendencies uh, more than so being a specific alcoholic. Uh, I've chosen not to be involved with alcohol just because any substance to my mind can be uh, detrimental Mm. uh, in terms of having addictive tendencies. So I've chose to be abstinent from alcohol uh, in in that sense.
0: Mm -hmm. And knowing our past and knowing what we've been through, especially starting from my childhood. (laughs) I could definitely see this, and obviously, for the sake sake of this conversation, we won't go into all of our addictive tendencies, right? Right. The endless gambling over NCAA and or any other form of competitive sport or whatever it might be. But I I, I also find it interesting. It as a a slight tangent to this. One of the reasons why I enjoy those opportunities to compete with you is. I think both and I have understood that once we're able to assign another form of value to that activity, it truly, does, it truly can bring out the best out of the other person. And I think it's when it comes to money or some of the things that you and I have put on some of these activities, I have seen the fullest color. I've seen all the colors. All the colors. Both you people.
1: Have, as have I.
0: Both people, yeah. I mean, the
1: competitive edge that you and I have, have gotten involved in with putting money on the line is, is really enhanced the, uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: the performance to say. Yeah. The least. That's a good oh. point. Yeah. Gambling is, is something I have had addictive tendencies towards, and it's something I also uh, do not actively participate in at all. Uh, so it's interesting you bring that up too. Um, I, I just want I, the person that I am, I need to be very careful about what things I involve in.
0: Mm-hmm. great what, addition there What did you start doing? What, what inner work, outer work did you start doing once you started to recognize all this? I know you, you mentioned briefly going to AA groups and stuff like that. Was it helpful? Was it not? Were there limitations to the groups you were a part of? Were there things that you wished they offer more of? What was your experience when it came to all that?
1: I love the question, Oh, Oleg. Uh, so I, the, the most helpful the AA meetings were for me was during the most intense point of withdrawal when I needed to get through and those three weeks felt longer than the last three years of my life in terms of just every second I was feeling uh, discontent. Uh, and the, the groups were great, but something that was the most impactful for me was over the last uh, two years, I've worked for an organization called Home of New Vision. Uh, and I work as a staff member at our uh, inpatient uh, living. So clients who come there have a uh, substance, uh, drug and or alcohol use or uh, co-occurring. Uh, and they, stay, they live there for 30 days. And the idea is to try to get them into a more sustainable living environment where they're going to stop uh, using drugs that's very destructive to their lives. Um, working for there has been the most meaningful and impactful uh, work experience that I've really had. And it's why I continue to do it. Uh, so between the hours of 4 p.m. and 12 a.m. Uh, two to three days a week, I, uh, I worked that shift. Uh, and yesterday, for example, we had clients who were um, dealing with conflict within the house. And uh, I, I was able to help them kind of just openly communicate. They were kind of, he said, she said, and it was like three or four persons. And these are adults. Uh, these are people older than I. Uh, who have more lived experience than I have. Uh, But with being able to to work there and kind of help people work through some of the simplest to some more sophisticated challenges, uh, I'm not a therapist, I'm just a general staff, but uh, conflict resolution and and things such as that, that's been the most meaningful uh, work that I've had that has kept me so close to this experience that I've had. Uh, It was actually a client in the house who started asking me some questions about what I've experienced that brought me there that really made me want to connect more with your organization uh, and podcast and take this time to kind of reflect on uh, how I've developed over this.
0: I think one of the things that's also stood out to me from my experience with you is in this situation, you really chose to take action. Like you, you chose to take life into your own hands and knowing the direction I think that were you were heading as well. I, I, I think if you didn't do that, I think we'll be having a very different conversation all these years later. I think the other thing that I, I wanted to uh, see if you can briefly touch upon when you were going through all of this three years ago, you were also facing a lot of other pressures, business relationships and things like that. And, and I wonder how did all, how were all of those things impacted?
1: Uh, it's a really good point. So during my high uh, Adderall use, I was, uh, Owner of a landscaping company, of which I still am. I've partnered with my brother. uh, So I was overworking myself in that regard to that profession. Uh, And when I went into the hospital, I was in $25,000 of debt uh, in my business uh, that simply could be resolved by invoicing. Uh, So this is something like you want to talk, reflect back on your question of who was there for you during these times. Uh, my brother Marshall, this is when he really stepped in to, to become more involved in the company. He started doing all the mowing and, and, uh, scheduled maintenance. My dad and mom, uh, took over, um, invoicing and kind of financial oversight. Uh, we stopped taking on any other projects and work and just managed with what we had, uh, that led to all that debt being, um, gone just by invoicing and stopping my, uh, (laughs) <laughs> rampage of operation is a good way of putting it. Uh, I also had a girlfriend that started separating with me during this time uh, that was in- incredibly distressing um, because, you know, you talk about everything going on at once and just built up stress and uh, and madness that had been created and that was still working itself out. So on top of a psychotic break, I'm uh, having a uh, relationship uh, dissolve. I've got a business that's maybe uh, falling apart, maybe not. Uh, And it was uh, added to a tough time, man. It really
0: did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Being there side by side with you as you were going through all of it, I just remember thinking, I don't know what I would do. I I don't know what I would do if I was in similar set of circumstances because it it was a lot. It was a lot to handle. It, It almost seemed like there was something that was happening on every possible end.
1: It, it really was. Uh, I mean, there was a guy. And so here's the thing. When I'm in the hospital and I'm talking about what's happened, a lot of doctors and people didn't know what was true and what wasn't. And I barely knew what was true and what wasn't because there's so much going on. But I told them this story about this uh, guy who had who this. I ended up in court over this. Uh, he had taken my company's letterhead. He had done some work with us. Uh, he had taken my company's letterhead. He had gone to a client he had taken a $5000 deposit from them which was 100% of the bill for the work to be done so this person had paid $5000 assuming that they're going he's going to do the work he never did any of the work i never knew anything about the job or about this woman and i get served a lawsuit letter saying i've got to appear in court because i, I well i don't know why at the time so i've got to go back and figure it out and you know, that thing in itself isn't uh, isn't going to cause what happened, but it's just things like that just piling on that contributed to uh, a, a total, total uh, fall off. I don't even know what, what to call it, but that was an example and I was talking about this. Like, is this really true? We don't know what's going on. Is, he, is this delusion? Is this a fact? And they call my mom they're like, well, that one was true, but he had another situation that might have been uh, more misunderstood by me. Uh, I. This was brain scattered. Uh, it, it was pretty unbelievable.
0: Mm. Yeah, I, I think I like once again, I don't know what I would have done in your well, situation.
1: I'll be glad to say, Oleg, that you will not be in that situation because <laughs> of your life and the things that you do. Yeah. So I'm thankful for you in that regard. <laughs>
0: What do you think you picked up from all the, all these experiences, what skills, what new realizations are you walking, walking away with? So when you say
1: all these experiences, is that specifically pertaining to the The last three
0: years, everything that you've been through,
1: Mm -hmm. everything that I've been through. So the last three years have been a huge improvement in how I've lived my life, how I've spent my time, how I've managed, uh, some difficult situations with ease. Uh, and you know, the, the thought is that I, you know, my work at home of new vision has really kept me to the reality of where I was. And every day I reflect on that, I, I see someone come in who's dealt with something similar. I'm like, wow, I, I gotta remember why I'm here, why I work here, why everything else in my life is going as well as it is because of the work that I do there. is the reason that I continue uh, to work in what can be a stressful environment. I mean, I get screamed at by someone who's unhappy about how clean the bathroom is uh, and they want me to go clean it right now while I've got to like, you know, write a report or deal with something much more urgent. And it's stressful. We have a very, very high turnover there. I am the longest afternoon staff member since I've started working there. Uh, And it's, I, I can see why that is sadly, but, I've got another coworker who has been there almost as long as I have. uh, And and she does, uh, does as well as anyone could
0: too. Why have you been at this job for that long? What does it give you? I have been at that job for that long because it keeps, again, it
1: keeps me close to my experiences and how I've grown. And I I also want to help anyone who I can, who's in, uh, either strictly substance abuse or mental health, and how they are uh, can be correlated related because um, you know some people need medication and uh, they do, and they do have bipolar. Uh, I'm I'm thankful that I I was able to be patient with myself to realize that I did not need medication, uh, but I want to help people in any way that I can who have had or are having
0: a uh, similar time where do you think that desire comes from the desire to help others? Why is that important to you?
1: The desire to help others in, in that field is from my experience uh, and what I can bring through having lived it. Uh, And in life in general, in in life in general, it comes from, you know, I just have the belief and I've, you've been a part of developing this, of that, uh, you know, if you do good by others, hopefully good is going to come back to you. And that doesn't always, but, you know, if I, if we go out there and we start, you know, scheming and conning like this guy who took this letterhead and went and robbed someone blatantly, he probably isn't doing too great right now. Uh, and I don't want to live by uh, con or deception. Uh, it comes back to the root I think of just honesty and truthfulness. Uh, of how do I want to live my life and how do I want to be perceived? Uh, I'm far, I'm far from perfect. There are a lot of things I'm still working on. I, I have a, a therapist I speak with on how to continue to develop improved communication skills. Uh, my brother and I can really get at it. Oh, uh, yes. Working together. And <laughs> I've, had that, I, I've
0: been traveling. front and center of some of these.
1: Yeah, so, you know, we love each other very much, but uh, I still have a ton of development I need to work on. Um, and I don't mean to get lost in your question there, Oleg, but... Can you a, can,
0: can you briefly, and this is more just a question that I'm genuinely curious And what do you do in regard to honesty and transparency and being truthful to who you are in your word, how do you, what do you do to stay in alignment with those things? And how do you know when you're not?
1: That, that how do you know when you're not, is the best, uh, best part of that question because sometimes you don't, mm. uh, you know, I try, I, I think so. Here's the thing. When I'm doing this Adderall, I thought I was doing great. Um, Sometimes in my communication with my brother, I think that I couldn't have communicated something more clearly. And here we are in a completely different world, looking at each other like, you know, what's going on? Uh, so how what I say and what that means to someone else is always going to be imperfect. And uh, ask, asking and to get understanding of other people's perspective perspectives is always something we'll continue to try to understand and
0: mm-hmm. improve my involvement mm-hmm. yeah because i've always been curious this about you because you i feel like you have this way of staying in alignment when these things happen and the reason why i think that is i remember a story from middle school slightly unrelated maybe it is related who knows but it was a story from middle school when we were talking to some of the girls And one of the things for anyone that's going to be listening to this as well. In our middle school, some of the guys had a tendency of making fun of the girls. I don't know if that was a way to get their attention or whatever it was, but you were the complete opposite. You were the kid that I've never seen make fun of girls. You were the kid that was nice to everyone. And I've always tried to understand how did that develop? Like, how did you naturally carry this level of kindness towards almost every single person that you come across. And so that's where this, this part of the question came for me. What do you do to stay in alignment with those things? Because your environment doesn't always support what you believe in, right? You step into the outside world. You're, I mean, I can't guarantee the fact that every person I'm going to come across is going to be the same person that I am internally. This morning was a perfect example. I was giving out, I was giving some blood. I was getting some um, uh, blood work done for, you know, malaria and all these other things that I have had the fortune to experience in the past couple of weeks. And there was a person right before me who was getting an appointment and he was just, he was having a bad day. And so, as a way to process the bad, bad day on his own, he chose to process it with the people working there. So he told them that you know it was their fault that X, Y, and Z was happening. When the reality, if you actually look at the logistics, they're not the one drawing the blood. They're not the one collecting the. They're not the ones doing anything that he had mentioned as part of that problem. And then I, I was the next one, and I remember walking into that room and I said, "It's funny how much an attitude can make or break someone's day, isn't it?" And she laughed. just like, "It's so true." And and I think it's the same exact thing that you just mentioned staying in alignment believing in what one believes in those are the things that help me maintain the man attitude that i do i could easily be taken over by quote unquote bad circumstances on any given moment it's easy it, the, and the, i think the other interesting part about life is that the choice is always there right i could i could stand at the street and i could say man i can't believe this traffic's really slow or i could look at it wow i'm actually really grateful for the opportunity to reflect on my day
1: you have as good of a perspective as anyone does in that. like, I do have to make a correction to what you've said. Yeah. I, while I have a very kind and good person. I was not nice to everyone. Uh, I would sometimes provoke uh, as an adolescent, more adolescent, I would provoke reactions in a few of the uh, people at the school. Really? Uh, I didn't yes. know that. The lunch woman uh, was uh, traumatized by me uh, because I, I would think it was entertaining to get a reaction. But I do feel to be a genuinely kind person, um, and I do have a very positive experience uh, that happened recently. I was at a store here in Ann Arbor. They employ a uh, high percentage of individuals with some autism. Uh, And there was a guy who was working really, really hard. Uh, He did appear to have uh, some autism. And he came over to my computer, he hit like four buttons before I could even figure out what had happened and he had already fixed the checkout process. And I was like, wow, I see him fly over another computer and he like punches a bunch of buttons and like things gone. And I, it's we got our masks on and it's COVID and I see him sneeze and he walks over to the cash register um, where there's no, uh, no customer and he kind of like wipes his nose and he cleans himself up a little bit. And I see the manager go over to him And I said, he's like, Hey, you know, you got to be over here doing all this stuff. And I walked over to the manager and I said, you know what? I want you to know how great of a job that guy is doing, uh, because he's just helped three people in about the last uh, three to five minutes and he sneezed and needed to take a minute. And, um, he said, okay, well, thank you for that. And another customer walked up to me and he said, you know what? I think that was a really great thing for you to do. Uh, that was very nice. And while it's the little thing, it's it's something like that that does make me feel good. And I, I didn't like that manager, you know, giving this hardworking guy a, a tough time when he was doing a very very good job. Uh, so it's things like that. I'll stand up for someone um, in my work. Uh, and division, I advocate for the clients uh, in any way that I can uh, to have have them have the best uh, experience in their early recovery.
0: Mm-hmm. Carson, Carson, what are some ways that people can connect with you? What are some ways that people can connect with your business, Three bro- Three Brothers Lawn Care, to learn more about kind of your story, your own experience, and then outside of that, for anyone that's residing in Ann Arbor, how can they yeah. get their grass cut?
1: Like, <laughs> what a great question! Uh, in terms of Three Brother advocacy, uh, that's something we'll we'll stray away from on this uh, communication. But in terms of mental health or substance abuse. Uh, I don't know, that's a really good question you bring up. Uh, If anyone reaches out uh, or needs to connect with me uh, on Facebook or uh, through my phone number, if anyone gets a hold of you, please uh, directly pass them to me. Uh, This has been a really great feeling to have a conversation uh, with you all, to reflect on some things that I haven't. Uh, I I have not uh, done anything like this before. It's been really cool.
0: Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, please consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if you like what you heard, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we look forward to having you next time.